Welcome back to the Inclusive and Online Podcast. My name is Dan. I'm Kate. And I'm Kayla. And together, we're your hosts for the Inclusive and Online Podcast. This month, we jump back into our discussion with OU's Director of Student Financial Aid, Nicole Balk, to get more into some of the DEI issues in financial aid. Let's jump back in. How do you think changes to the FAFSA address inclusivity and accessibility? Yeah, good question. So as when I started this conversation and I was introducing myself, I was talking with you about the fact that the cornerstone of financial aid is about accessibility and inclusivity. The the at its core, financial aid is about providing funding to students who could not otherwise afford higher education, who college was unattainable for without the ability to access those funds. And so some some additional positive things that have happened from FAFSA simplification or perhaps just the evolution of technology is that the FAFSA today is supported in both English and Spanish. That's being expanded to the 11 most commonly spoken languages. Don't ask me what those are because I'll be honest, I don't know if I've seen a list of what those exactly are yet, but I uh, we are being told that it's being expanded to 11 most commonly spoken languages. Uh, I also think that there is a greater understanding that families aren't the families aren't the mom, dad, two kids structure like they perhaps once were um, many decades ago. But it, the FAFSA has become more uh, responsive to different situations. So we have questions on the FAFSA that talk about homelessness. Uh, being a ward of the court in legal guardianship. Um, we have a question on the FAFSA, which is brand new, that I can't answer yes to any of those situations, but I'm at risk if I ask my parents for information. And so being able to indicate to us, like, I want to complete this FAFSA, but I need to talk to somebody about my situation and how what you can do to help me with my situation is a huge benefit for us in the financial aid office because oftentimes that's hard to step up and say, I have this situation, I don't really know what to do, can you help me? Being able to do that in a more passive way allows us then to do outreach to students to say, hey, we can see you have this situation, let's chat, let's talk about, this is still attainable for you. And so the expansion of those types of questions on the, the FAFSA hopefully is going to allow more students to be able to complete the FAFSA and make us aware of their situation in a more in-our-face manner than the students having to come to us and have those conversations. And then I think just in general, um, where we need to do more and as a community, a financial aid community, as uh, an educational institution, as education across the United States is just about the education of doing the FAFSA. Like if we can get you to do a FAFSA, we will do the work from there. If we can help you to get that FAFSA into us, we'll, 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 we will work with you to make sure that we get you all of the aid that we can get you. Um, here at OU, we're very transparent in our aid packages. We don't hold anything back. If we can, uh, if we can package you with something, we're going to package you with it. And so, um, the more we can get students to complete a FAFSA, the better we are set up to be able to help those students in college affordability. And I do think it's interesting that they've expanded, um, say, eligibility or limits for subsidized loans or for incarcerated students. 
yeah, that all plays into that inclusivity and accessibility aspect as well. But kind of shifting gears, I want to focus on the verification process for a minute. Sure. For those of you who are unfamiliar with verification, it's how the federal government tries to ensure the FAFSA is being submitted accurately. It often involves submitting federal tax documents and in some cases supporting documentation. And the verification process has long been a thorn in the sides of aid applicants around the country due to document requests and processing times. You know, based on you know what you're hearing, how will FAFSA simplification potentially impact the speed and efficiency of the verification process? And could more students potentially get access to their aid sooner? Yeah, good question. So this is the great unknown for us for this year. Uh, when we think about the fact that the number of questions on the FAFSA have been decreased, and most of that information is going to be a direct transfer, including family size and all of the tax information, a direct transfer from the IRS. We don't know what there's left, what there is left to verify. Now, having said that, we are also being told, as Dan said, verification has long been a thorn in the side for everyone. Um, there has been machine learning that has happened on the old FAFSA that found risk factors to select a student for verification. What we're being told is because of the methodology changes, that machine learning is all gone. And we're being told that machine learning will take a year or two years to have data to be able to identify risk factors. Uh, so we're being told that verification is truly going to be random in this next academic year. And we struggle with that a little bit because we don't know what we're going to verify. We don't know if everything was transferred. We're, we're not required to collect documentation, which is a great thing. Uh, we're not required to collect documentation to verify anything. And so I think time is really going to tell on this piece. But if there's less information we're having to collect, of course, that means the faster that student financial aid awards are going to be finalized. Uh, and they'll be able to move forward with the dispersing of aid on a normal schedule. Um, so time will tell. We'll see where this one goes. Yeah, and I really do hope that is you know one of the big positive impacts on this because you know having had many conversations with families, you know trying to get money for books, or you know they're using this for you know, living expenses and maybe they're a single parent. You know, having access to that funding and knowing you know much earlier in advance does nothing but help the student and, you know, the speed and efficiency of that from everything to getting money for living expenses to getting money for books and, you know, making sure that your tuition payment is paid in full. I really do hope that is uh, one of the ultimate outcomes from this. Me too. So what are some things that you would like to see changed about the financial aid process um, at any, the state institu or institution level or the federal level? Yeah, good question there as well. If I had my wish, my main wish would be that we would do a FAFSA one time. And that maybe it would be good for five or six years unless the family situation significantly changed. And then we would have a process by which we could uh, reevaluate their eligibility. And the reason that I say that is because it's very difficult for families to plan when you only know what financial aid you're going to get for sure for that year. And so without having some sort of continuum of aid eligibility, it makes it difficult to talk about the overall costs of, of the education 
and what the overall out-of-pocket expense is going to be. And so I don't know how close we are to one FAFSA. It's been floated around um, years past, but that would be a wish of mine. The other wish of mine, we are a heavily regulated industry at the federal level, at the state level, and also policies institutionally related to institutional money that's available to students. And if you can imagine all of the time that goes into making sure we are compliant with those regulations, and for rightful reasons, we are dealing with taxpayer dollars. But if there was less regulation on our industry, I guess I should say thoughtful regulation on our industry, um, it would allow us to be able to be more with students and helping them in making decisions, planning for the future, understanding what loan borrowing means, providing financial literacy opportunities, talking about budgeting, talking about managing money. Like we could be spending more time with students if there wasn't so much time being spent on all of the regulations. Um, I, I don't think people realize the level of compliance. The general public realizes the level of compliance by which we have to adhere to. And so oftentimes we're seen as the bad guys in the office or the, the bad people in the office. Ooh, I remember those feelings. Yeah, yeah. right. And we don't want to be right. No. Like we work here to help students, but we also have regulations and policies we have to follow and balance that. And so that would be a wish of mine. Um, and then my, my third wish that really isn't related to necessarily financial aid or FAFSA, but it's that I would love to see a college going culture and conversations much earlier in a student's life. So by the time we get to the junior and senior year, things are kind of set. Like you don't have much room to make change. And so if we can have the time to get to students earlier, you know, middle school students, and we could be working with them on what it means to be going to college, how we're gonna afford going to college. I just really think we could have a huge impact on our communities and on those students and their families. And so in Nicole's wish list bucket world, uh, that's what I would love to see happen in my profession. And what are some of the common misconceptions about the financial about financial aid in the financial aid office? Yes, yeah, so I think that the one thing that I beat my drum to often around the schools I've been at is families believe they make too much money to to qualify for financial aid. I make too much money. There's no point in even doing this thing called FAFSA. And so I want everyone to do a FAFSA. You never you might make too much money to qualify for grants, but you don't know what scholarships might be dependent on that FAFSA data, just having it done. When we received money during the COVID pandemic to give to students, many institutions used whether or not a student had done a FAFSA to deliver money to students. A family might not know when their situation is going to change. And in that stressful moment, having a FAFSA on file allows processes to move much more quicker in order to get money to students. And so everyone who's a US citizen or a permanent resident and not in default on a current student loan is eligible for aid of some sort, even if it's student loans. You don't have to borrow the student loans, but at least it's there for you because you've done a FAFSA. And so that is the number one misconception that again, I would love the world to hear. Um, the other one is that the FAFSA takes too long. Data shows today it takes an hour to complete. 
It hopefully will take even less under FAFSA simplification. And so you're not, you know, in a week's time to take an hour to potentially receive thousands of dollars in funding, it's time well spent. And so we would want to overcome that. And then kind of in the state of Michigan, the one that has had meaning in the past, some meaning in the past, is that there's this March 1 deadline. My FAFSA has to be done by March 1st. If it's not done by March 1st, I can't get financial aid. Well, that used to be an old deadline for state of Michigan financial aid. That deadline isn't even in play today. And with the new Michigan Achievement Scholarship, there is no deadline. The FAFSA is open 18 months. You can apply. Of course, you need to apply while you're still in classes and hopefully well before you start classes. Um, but if you don't meet the March 1 deadline, okay, you still need to do that FAFSA. You're still going to qualify for federal aid. You're still going to qualify for the Michigan Achievement Scholarship if you're otherwise eligible. Likely institutions may still have money for you. Like, I, I want March 1 to be gone out of our vocabulary as it relates to FAFSA processes. Yeah, I agree with you know, getting everybody to submit a FAFSA. I was always a big advocate for that in my financial aid days because you never know when something is going to happen. And you're right. You don't have to accept the loans. They're there as an option. You can always say no. But if something happens, you've got at least some comfort and some peace of mind in knowing that there is a follow-up plan for you there. So yeah, I'm glad that we're on the same page with that because I was always strongly advocating for people to submit the FAFSA no matter what. So it's nice to hear. And from a student perspective, what do you think are the biggest challenges for students when applying to financial aid? Yeah. So we kind of touched on this a little bit already, but not everyone comes from situations in which mom and dad are willing and able to provide information for the FAFSA. And we understand that there are some really complex family situations. And so students in those situations often don't understand or have the support of what options are available for them to not have to use parental information on the FAFSA. And then there's just this feeling of defeat that comes over them. And then the FAFSA just never happens. And those students just don't continue on necessarily into higher education. And so awareness and education, again, is huge on this front that we get, we, we work in that complex world with families and there are ways in which we can make FAFSA happen if it's warranted without parental information. And so connecting students to us in the financial aid community, whether it be here at OU or at, across any college campus is critical to helping make sure those students understand that there are pathways that are viable for them as options. And then the other really interesting thing, and I, my nephew just happened to uh, tour campus yesterday and he was messaging me last night. There's just a general lack of understanding about what the words grants scholarships, loans, work study mean, because these aren't things most of us who have gone to public education have ever had to deal with or, or, or think of. We just went to school. And so now we're going to school somewhere where we have to pay to go to school. And these things that are grants, what does it mean? These things that are loans, what does it mean? And so again, it falls back to education and information that we're providing so that folks know when we offer you a grant, that's typically money that doesn't have to be repaid to us at all. That's free money that we're giving you to help reduce your costs. Loans, do I? most loans, as soon as you get them, you start paying on them. Well, these student loans are something that's deferred. 
And so, you know, if there's this understanding of what a loan is in its traditional sense, well, how am I going to pay on it while I'm going to school without the understanding that we don't pay on those while we're in school? We can, but we're not required to do so. And then I think just when we think about that student coming out of high school or perhaps even that adult learner who's never experienced college or maybe somebody who even is returning, there's just this fear or of being able to, I, I, I don't want to feel stupid by asking this question. There's this uncertainty in them and not then asking questions that we are here to help answer because we want you to understand. So this fear of having conversation with us about what you don't know. We expect people to not know. None of us have degrees in how to administer financial aid. It's all stuff we had to learn. And we have no expectation that families know it all. And so we want people talking with us and we want to be able to explain processes to people so that there's a familiarity and a comfortableness in the the financial aid process. Yeah, really. I mean... As a, an advisor, financially professional, really continues developing in that field in how much more you actually learn. Sometimes you find out how much you actually don't know because the federal manual is so gigantic and full of legalese that you know us as financial aid professionals, we have to learn how to interpret that and, you know, and comply with the federal government. So there's there's so much uh, there's so much there. In addition to say the recruitment aspect and getting people in the door, getting the FAFSA submitted, there's also an important role to play with retention. And financial aid as well is that okay now you've qualified for you know these you know these particular programs and specifically scholarships and institutional scholarships uh, you know you really are advising the student throughout that to make sure they're renewing those scholarships that if they want to drop a class how could that potentially affect aid moving forward so i know that there's a lot of work that already happens in advising students of that and uh you know when we're talking about misconceptions and perspective, really the best thing that people can do is educate themselves on this, learn more, ask those questions and communicate with the financial aid office, preferably well in advance of a semester starting, because that's when, you know, a lot of people are really flooding that department. So early awareness, early action, absolutely critical to the overall success for, for everybody involved. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head, Dan. Any final thoughts you'd want to share with our listeners before we wrap up for the day? You know, this is specific probably to this year, but patience and grace comes to mind with this year. Uh, We also don't want to be in the position where we're disadvantaging folks as they make college decisions, but just the environment that we're in this year with the delay and the release of the FAFSA, the complete rewrite of systems that have to happen as you heard me say, the re-envisioning of everything that we essentially know and do in our world, uh, things are going to take a little bit longer this year. And we hope only this year, we hope this is a speed bump in the in the road of financial aid. Uh, but even if there are delays and there are there is this speed bump, we are still here to help students and we still want to answer the questions that we can in the time that we that we can based on what we know at that point in time. And so we just ask um, for a little bit of patience and grace this year and that communication between us and students and their families as we navigate this really unknown territory. Uh, and hopefully after this year, we'll be back to normal and we'll, we'll have a better feel 
for the, the process and what it all means for students. Um, but it's just critical that families get that FAFSA done to then allow us to be able to do the work that we need to do to help students to uh, attend and complete their education. Thank you so much for being here today. Honestly, this was a really wonderful conversation. I I can tell that you're, you know, really passionate about helping the students and like through the conversation that we've had and and the things that you've expressed, like I can I can really hear that you hold the students best interest at heart and it's really wonderful to hear that and I'm sure it plays out in the work that you're doing as well. So, thank you again for taking the time. It's been great to have you. Absolutely. Thank you, Kate and everyone else for this fun conversation. We'd like to thank Nicole for joining us today. If you liked this episode, don't forget to subscribe and rate our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. We value your feedback and your ratings and reviews will help others discover our show. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Inclusive Online Pod and our Facebook page, Inclusive and Online. If you'd like to get in touch with us with your ideas, feedback, or request to collaborate, you can send us an email at inclusiveonlinepod at gmail.com. We'll be back next month with our next episode. Until then, we hope you feel included.